Hello and welcome to the Standing for Truth Ministries podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Bedinsky, and together we will venture on a journey to explore the truth of biblical creation. Our ministry is also available on YouTube, so please search Standing for Truth and get access to the video versions of our programs. I'm Donnie Bedinsky, and as usual, Stay awesome and trust in the truth of God's Word. Welcome to Standing for Truth. I am your host, Donnie. And I am your co-host, Matt. Thank you, everybody, for being here for today's important show. We are joined with Dr. Mark Armitage. And it is a privilege to have you, Mark, with us here on the program today. Uh, the honor is all mine. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. And uh, as everybody knows and everybody is looking forward to, uh, we have you here, uh, Dr. Armitage, to discuss dinosaur soft tissue. And again, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for giving us your time. I'm pumped. I've been pumped for this ever since we scheduled it over a month ago. So. Well, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah, I'm ready to get started. <laughs> awesome. Let's jump right into it then. First off, how have you been? And can you tell um, everybody about the research you've been up to and, and including any new developments or findings? Yeah, no, great question. Uh, uh, we're doing well. Um, we've had a little bit of time to recuperate from, uh, well, we went to Dallas in early January for about a week and uh, taught there. And then we had to drive actually from Washington State all the way down to Los Angeles to pick up our new laboratory. We ordered uh, 20 uh, beautiful, uh, high quality microscopes uh, dissecting and compound. And uh, we're actually taking our laboratory out into the towns and villages. We're going into homeschool communities and working with students there to conduct a, a three hour hands-on dinosaur soft tissue microscope laboratory. So uh, we're putting this in the hands of our students uh, who need this desperately right now. They need they need to heal from what's just happened for over the last two years. They, they need hope for the future and they need to be encouraged to hang on to the word of God and uh, not deviate. So it's an exciting undertaking. In fact, the laboratory is halfway on the way to El Paso right now where we're going to conduct labs all next week. So yeah, we need energy. We need power right now. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate that. Uh, Mark, you know, our, our, our prayers are with you for the trip. You're doing fantastic work and you have been a, a huge blessing and a huge help, uh, especially to us and, and this ministry. So, uh, Mark, for anybody who may be new to this, yeah, and specifically this topic of dinosaur soft tissue. Can you briefly explain why the findings of soft uh, dinosaur tissue is, is so important, especially when it comes to the age of the earth and deep time assumptions? Well, I think the implications are obvious really to uh, anybody, the common person. And uh, most people that uh, we interact with, we, we start sharing about dinosaur soft tissue and they're shocked. Most people are shocked. Uh, you had asked previously about the research, and, and I think this is important because the method we have adopted is to build a publication history. And so uh, that's what we've been doing. We, we have been conducting 
the research and we are publishing a world first finds. In fact, uh, there's a couple that I'd like to share with you as we go on today, but um, that publication history allows it to be cemented in the literature so people can go and refer to it and study it and understand exactly what was published. So that's the methodology we employed and now we're actually going out and, and just sharing the science. We're sharing the science, which becomes pretty obvious to even those most casual observer. I mean, come on, you wouldn't expect to bury a ham sandwich in your backyard and come back in a year and find some of the ham still there. I mean, intuitively we know that this cannot happen. So uh, it really strikes a chord with everybody that we talk to about it. And we believe every human deserves to know that we're literally walking on a cellophane wrapped earth of soft tissue, uh, not just dinosaur. We're, we'll talk about other areas we've dug into as well in the research. So now the research is important as far as the implications, uh, you know, I just present the science and then I open it up for questions and the questions are amazing and they come from all angles. Uh, so, and I'm fully prepared to answer all those, but uh, what we intend to do is present the science so that it's an established thing. You know, it's, and we're seeing this from many research institutions. There's a lot of papers out on uh, soft tissue and dinosaur bones. Amen. Well said. Uh before we get a little further, I guess, into this topic, uh, Mark, especially for anybody, again, who's new to this, can you kind of briefly tell us a little bit about your story um, leading up to, you know, where we are today, um, specifically, uh, you know, with your, your current research? Yeah, I smile because uh, it's, it's the coolest story I could ever imagine. <laughs> I got to live it. I mean, uh, from the moment that I traveled from Puerto Rico, where I was a troubled teen, you know, 16 years old, uh, really troubled and a disciplinarian type family. And I went all the way to the coast of Maine and off the coast of Portland. There's a little island there called Great Diamond Island. And, and I got to uh, work with microscopes and we collected phytoplankton and dinoflagellates and things. So I was bitten by the microscope bug. And of course, then I entered a career in microscopy. I I became a, a service guy first. I was trained to service and repair some of these big instruments and made a career of that. And then I worked for Olympus. I worked for Carl Zeiss. I worked for Reichert representing their products and had a blast. And, uh, and then I went back into academia. Uh, you know, when I, when I had professed faith in Christ, I was basically booted out of my college career by my folks. And so I had to kind of start over, but, uh, and then family came into play. I mean, all of it, I'm amazed that I walked through it, but I tell people my windshield is so cracked and dirty and messed up, but my rear view mirror is so clear because I can see how God brought me to this point. I mean, the very training that, that I received, the academic training in soft tissue processing. I mean, I was turned into a soft tissue processing technician, an expert in that area because we did electron microscopy. I worked at several universities and ran microscope labs at several of them. So uh, when I started reading about the dinosaur soft tissue being published in some of these journals, I was astounded. I was shocked. And I realized I have to go and try to replicate this. And of course, at that time, everybody was digging for femurs, you know, big long bones, leg bones, because they felt that those encapsulated bones, what was, what was holding the soft tissue together. But we found a, a, an exposed... Uh, actually tipped down Triceratops horn, a 48-inch long 
Triceratops horn that was at a 42 degree angle down and exposed all the water and silica and calcium and all those things that flowed in. And so part of it permineralized, but a lot of it didn't. In fact, that stretchy red tissue that you've seen me stretch, I peeled that directly from the inside of that horn. So, wow. no, I mean, the, the, the pathway has been incredible. Um, since then, we've had incredible uh, world first discoveries that we can talk about that I'd like to because I, I want people to understand the impact of what's being published and the emphasis on published. We're publishing in the open scientific literature. So, no, I mean, I couldn't imagine a more exciting <laughs> fun career as a young scientist starting out at 16. It's, it's been wild. Yeah, yeah, it, it sounds wild. It's I really appreciate that that answer, um, Dr. Armitage. And and something you said there about uh, publishing in the secular scientific journals. A lot of people, especially the critics and the skeptics, they'll oftentimes, especially if they're ill-informed on this topic, they believe this is just kind of like a young earth creationist argument or we're making things up. Can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Well, as a person who taught in academia for 12 years uh, at the highest levels, I will say class, class is in session now, so pay attention. All of these papers are published online and downloadable from our website and many other websites, dstri.org, DST like dinosaur soft tissue, RI like researchinstitute.org, and you can download all the papers. And so class... The papers have been available, especially the Octahistochemica paper. I mean, this paper was published online in 2012 and then in print in 2013. So, and, and there is a correction that I'd like to submit to you because uh, what was stated in the, in the uh, uh, video that you sent was that uh, I had to decalcify the horn before I was able to recover that soft, stretchy red tissue. Remember, yeah, everybody's seen that in uh, is Genesis history. Well, that... That came out of a horn that I literally just fractured under mechanical pressure and it exposed the horn core and then I peeled it off the horn core. So there was no processing done to that bone in order to pull out that soft, stretchy tissue, which made the cover of American Laboratory with all the cells inside of it. So, uh, and I sectioned that with a steel knife so it wasn't permineralized. So no, I mean, what's astounding about the find as published in the literature. So class, download it and read it. And you know, if you can't understand it, take it to a biologist, let them read it to you, okay? Seriously, know this stuff because we fractured open a horn that had selective permineralization. We showed electron microscope pictures of the vessels, the, the blood vessels that had hardened into stone. Why? Because all the water with silica in it was coming down through the rainwater and it turned all these vessels, if I can find them here, into stone. I mean, look at all these vessels that were turned into stone as a result of the water uh, percolating through them. And actually, figure 16, you can see that's the blood clot. That's the first report of a blood clot, which I need to talk about. But look at the cells in 17, 18, and 19. Those were soft, stretchy cells that were on the outside of that hardened bone. So we called it selective permineralization. But no, I mean... Understanding this exactly as public <laughs> is critical because the impact then is not minimized and, and people understand how shocking this is to find this kind of preservation in, in a thing that was exposed to 
millions of microbes and insects. And I mean, you name it, the sky's the limit. I think we found the DNA of 60 different organisms uh, wow. in the last DNA analysis. So now this thing was under attack, violent attack. And uh, it had to go through freeze-thaw cycles every year. There's water percolating it. When, when, when we first uncovered it, broke in half, it had a whole white fungal mat growing on one piece of the, the horn. So, no, it's it's so significant. This was the first of its kind find. It was a world first, and that shouldn't be minimized. Amen. Amen. Well said, uh, brother. It really is a fatal blow to the uh, old earth and naturalistic uh, paradigm and lots of uh, chats and comments coming in. I just wanted to point this out. Uh, Guzman1611 says, Dr. Armitage published a paper this year about Permian tissues. So you're doing <laughs> you're doing great work. Did you want to kind of touch on that a little bit? No, it's a whole new area. And, and you know, I, I was also gratified to see the nerve picture in that video you sent, but but let's be accurate here. It's not a nerve cell, it's a nerve fiber. And it's a it's a wound fiber. In fact, the 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 winding of the epineurium and perineurium, like a coaxial cable uh, around that wire that transmits the electricity, which is your nerve, that has a characteristic crosshatch pattern that is diagnostic for the fiber. So we're finding fibers. Now, there, there are Schwann cells, we believe, inside of there. So there's more work to be done. But we're now finding this in the Permian. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So, no, it's the work continues. And, and my hope is that folks will download these papers, study them. If you don't understand, look, we, we've tried to do the work for you. And now we're trying to educate. We want everybody to understand the significance. And, and, you know, you mentioned uh, it destroys this paradigm. It destroys that paradigm. You know, I really don't care about that anymore. It's really about presenting the facts about what we're finding out there. Right. Most of the bones we recover from the bone, from the, from the, these dinosaur graveyards, most of the bones we recover from these digs are bone. They're not rock. <laughs> and so I can dissolve almost every single one of them in this weak acid which is used by hospitals every day of the week around the world. So we're not reinventing the wheel. We're actually using standard protocols to dissolve these bones <laughs> and all the soft tissues are falling out and they're spectacular. And the deeper we dig, the more the, preser the higher the preservation is. There's a whole nother area of study called suspension of cells in calcite. This is where the calcite came in in a liquid form and, and infiltrated everything and then permineralized. And, you can see this in the latest Dimetrodon paper that we published uh, in the Microscopy Society of America journal, uh, 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 Microscopy Today. It's online now. If you if you Google uh, Microscopy Today current issue, you can download it from there, or just go to distry.org. It's up there. But we're showing these kind of preservations in calcite in the 290 million year old tissues. So no, I mean, the, the sky's the limit with this, I believe. One of the things we hope to do is to identify students who have an aptitude for this, because I need workers, you know? I, I have to duplicate and triplicate and multiply our efforts here, right? So that's one of our goals with these labs is to identify students. And look, everybody wants to take the lab. I get it, okay? Everybody on earth is left, but that's impossible. This right now we're focusing on the students who are the worst off among us. They're our future, so we want to focus on them. But uh, 
Everything's up for free. All our videos are, are free uh, on the distry.org or on the YouTube channel, which I think you were mentioning. And all the papers are available. And our books, you can download our free books and give them away. You give away as many as you want. If you want hard copies, you can contact us through the website. We'll send you hard copies. We print them to give them away. We want you to give them away. Awesome. That's really cool. Um, what do you say about, I mean, there's not many, but there's critics out there that say you're actually just looking at a horn of a cattle species. Um, yeah, there, there's a whole group of folks who uh, somehow erroneously fell on the idea that this is a bison horn. And my reply to them is, hey, you know, I don't think anybody really cares that you're confusing bison horn anatomy with actual horn, uh, <laughs> bone horn anatomy from the triceratops. I mean, there's a marked difference. And we've shown this in the paper. You, you can see the anatomical things in the acta paper that distinguish it from a bison horn, which is mostly keratin, you know, like your fingernails and, and hair. So, no, the anatomy is completely different. The set, you know, the other thing is we found the horn, largest horn ever found on the base ranch uh, where Schweitzer and Jack Horner and many others have dug. Um, it was, it's common there. It's, you know, uh, uh, Triceratops horn is common, in fact, uh, the bone that is is at the base of the skull that lets the skull rotate, that's called the condyle. And uh, we, when we went into uh, uh, Marge Beish's, uh home museum there, there was just a whole row of condyles. So, no, it, it's common there to find these things. And so uh, really it's just kind of a straw man that I think they've set up to tear down because we've superseded that work by far. I mean, we're so far beyond where the horn uh, was, uh, uh, you know, for example, we published in September of 2020, a paper on UV autofluorescence. And this is a technical term, but we used a special microscope to study thin sections of the bones and they're full of clots. Okay. Just about every bone we found is full of clots. Now that's significance. That's significant because there's a medical condition. And it's called disseminated intravascular coagulation. And when a, when a victim, particularly a mammal, dies by drowning, their blood clotting cascade goes violently in one direction and everything in their body clots. And so here, here are clots in bright field microscopy, but then we subjected them to UV light. And the iron in there glowed like a neon sign. And this is we're finding this throughout not only all of our specimens, but throughout the literature. And so the clots are like a Polaroid snapshot of what was going on to them physiologically when they died because they remain in that condition, you know? So these clots are still clogging all the bones. Incredible. So it's not only showing that they live recently, but they died from a flood, both things scripture talks about. Yeah, and this is just the science. Uh, and like I say, we, we just published this in the Dimetron paper, we went to Oklahoma, which is really interesting because most of the Permian specimens are in two locations in the whole world, Texas and Oklahoma. Both of them suddenly have become unavailable. I think uh, the Texas one was flooded over to make a lake and, uh, and the ones in Oklahoma are, they've kind of exhausted uh, what they found in terms of Permian specimens. But we went out and we dug on this open pl uh, plain, and this is all up on the Distri uh, YouTube and, and website. You can see these videos. We found a Dimetrodon femur just right there in the clay on this open plain. Now, 
that's supposed to be part of Pangea, which traveled six to 8,000 miles from where it was, you know, back when, you know, we know this is fact because people were there watching this. Who knows, right? Who knows? But this supposedly traveled 8,000 miles, yet these bones are pristine. They have no score marks, no scratch marks, no abrasion marks. And I'm pulling fat-covered fibers out of them, fat-covered nerve fibers, which drip with lipids. Now, here's a question. How long do lipids last? Do they last from the Permian? Can I take a bottle of Wesson oil and walk out of my backyard and pour it on the ground and expect to come back in 290 million years and find Wesson oil? <laughs> so, no. Look, the evidence is staggeringly stunning to anyone who would listen with an open mind. Uh, I'm just presenting the science. I'm not arguing. What you do with it, that's your little red wagon, right? You get to pull that. But I'm looking for people who want to know the truth, who are Amen. searching for the truth. Those are the folks I'm searching for. Amen. Amen, Dr. Armitage. Uh, great response. And we've already got a great chat with uh, some of the usual uh, criticisms and objections coming in. So I'm just going to get right into uh, those and kind of address them all in one. And the question is, and I'll kind of set it up this way, um, Mark. We all know uh, one of the very frequently repeated rescue devices for why we find preserved dinosaur soft tissue in fossils, supposedly millions of years old, as you're pointing out here, is iron preservation. Evolutionists invoke this argument as a way to say that these amazing cells and tissues could be preserved for millions and millions of years. Can you please elaborate on this argument? And do you believe there is any validity to it? Uh, well, we've discussed this in our blood clot paper from September of 2020. Um, we went into a thorough discussion of Fenton reactions, which are a result of water flowing over native naked iron to form hydroxyls and peroxyls. And of course, uh, it's well known in the literature that hydroxyls and peroxyls chew up tissue uh, living tissue. I mean, this is a condition you can read about in the medical scientific literature. Uh, they're highly oxidative and destructive to the living human body. So you can imagine what they would do uh, to, you know, a dying, just dying uh, uh, dinosaur, because this has to happen fairly rapidly, right? And, and if you look at the experiments that they've conducted in the laboratory to sort of replicate this, I mean, the first experiment uh, the first thing they did was inject an anticoagulant uh, into their specimen. Why? They couldn't abide clotting. I mean, clotting, it happens so fast. And it's a good thing. You puncture your body, your body knows all of a sudden, I got a puncture. I'm going to bleed out. I could bleed out depending on how deep it is. And so it starts this clotting cascade without you even wishing for it. So this happened so fast. They had to inject an anticoagulant to stop that. Then they had to break the red blood cells mechanically to expose the hemoglobin. But before they could get to the hemoglobin, they had to screen out all the platelets, all the protein factors that uh, combined with the clotting cascade. Um, all the cell remnants had to be removed. So they high-speed centrifuged this six times in a 30,000 RPM centrifuge. Come on. Okay. How much more ridiculous does your so-called science have to get? before you completely paint a picture over what really happened in Hell Creek. This was a cement mixer, okay? Everything went through a cement mixer. 
Nothing is articulated in some areas of Hell Creek, most of Hell Creek. And so all this stuff was ripped apart and exposed instantly to the dirt. Moreover, when you look at our clots, okay, here's a clot in Brightfield, and you can see it does not go outside the Haversian Canal. Your bones are full of canals. That's where the vessels are. That's where the nerves are. That's where the veins are. They run through canals, openings in your bone. I like to, I like to call, you know, I just say bone, buried bone is like a pyramid. It's full of all kinds of secret passageways with hidden treasures. And that's what we're finding. So it didn't escape the canal. And when you look at it in UV, you see this in UV, my finger's backwards. Look at how the, the iron is glowing. And there's a dark margin there where it didn't cross into the bone. So how is it going to save all the tissues if all the clots are still in the canals? And we're finding this, like I say, you all you have to do is open the scientific literature and look at the thin sections that are presented there, and you will see clots in most of them. So I don't know why this is being ignored by the scientific community, but you know we hit it with UV light to prove that it was iron, and it's iron. The iron's still there. So you've got those two problems. You've got fentanyl reactions chewing up tissue and somehow, some way. By chewing up the tissue, they're gonna, they're gonna harden that together and, and that's gonna provide stability to that collagen. Now remember, they only addressed collagen, okay? They didn't address the phospholipid membrane of cells and we have liberated so many cells, beautiful cells, both with scanning electron microscopy and with light microscopy, okay? There's a beautiful cell that was liberated right here. Actually, it's still attached to the bone, but we have liberated cells in solution. So no, these things are, you know, all these videos are online. You can see them with your own eyes, but how did that survive the iron? Because iron would chew up a phospholipid membrane like crazy. But what about the nerves? The nerves are covered in fat. I mean, it's just like I pointed out, you pour Wesson oil out on the ground, it's not gonna last a hundred years. So no, I think the science when it's properly understood just kind of brushes away these objections. And uh, I'm still stunned. I still cannot answer why these tissues are here. It's amazing. It, it's actually mad if I could, because I saw a couple of comments come in, in the chat and I wanted to ask you this, uh, Mark, because what you just said there is so fascinating. And as you pointed out, uh, these images, these videos are online publicly for everybody to see. And yet I still see this comment and I'm curious as to uh, what your thoughts on it. When these skeptics try to downplay the evidence and the data, what they'll say is, well, this is just soft tissue remnants or, or fragments. What are your thoughts when you, when you hear that from skeptics? I'll say it in one sentence. The, the science when presented just blows that away. They don't look like remnants. But here's my, here's my real comment, okay? Who cares about the naysayers? Who cares about the critics? Why should we spend time on the critics? I think we've wasted enough time on the critics. This evidence is out there for everybody to see for their own. This is why we're taking these labs out so these students can sit there with their own eyes. And it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. I'll, I'll teach them how to find nerves. Nerves are the fiber optics of tissues, okay? They light up under polarized light. And it's so much fun to teach them to search for a nerve and then to go into this special form of microscopy and all their hands go up. I found one, I found one, I found one. And, and then we start taking pictures so they can 
have the pictures themselves of what they shot through the microscope and saw with their own eyes. So no, this is so easy, a 13 year old can do it. And as far as the critics, I figure it's a better thing to train a 13 year old and let them teach the critics. Who cares about the critics? I'm interested in the students. <laughs> I'm interested in the people who want to hear this. And so, yeah, if you want to be a critic, fine. I ask them when they come to my kind of comment on the YouTube channel or on the website, I ask them, why are you here? You know, you're obviously not here to, to learn. And I don't have time to argue with you. Besides, arguing is a sin. I'm not going to argue with anybody. I'm going to testify, right? I'm going to testify. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to talk about what my microscopes are finding. We're publishing it. You know, I'm so thankful for the microscopy side of America. This is part of Cambridge University Press, okay? And, and, and this is why it's important when you talk about the nerves to understand a few things. When you present the nerve information, um, you know, remember that it's published by Cambridge University Press, okay? That's who's publishing this. And, and that's a great honor. It's a great honor to have this, this ability. But when you look at what's being presented, you know, I'll just read you the title because this, this is what's really astounding. The title of the paper is First Report of Peripheral Nerves in Bone from Triceratops. Now, it's an honor to have a title like that. Why? This title could easily just as much have been first nerve discovered in any dinosaur ever by anyone anywhere. I mean, that's the significance of a first report. So we've, we've actually found for the first time nerves. And, and like I say, we're, we're finding them in the, in the Permian and we're gonna hopefully publish that soon. But, but that, that is a moment that I think we need to stop and appreciate what, what really God is doing. Because again, I said before, I can't explain why these tissues are here. I have no mechanical, preservation mechanism can, that can account for these tissues. Remember the iron preservation theory only talked about collagen and vessels. That's it. That's all they attempted to explain. And their explanations, you know, don't, don't work uh, to, to be kind about it. But if these things are, are ancient, uh, there must be a preservation mechanism. The only alternative explanation is that they're not ancient. Uh, and maybe that this this was buried a short time ago because the preservation is stunning. That's a great response. Yeah. Go ahead. The, uh, yeah, I was just going to say um, the uh, a lot of scientists agree with you as well with the iron preservation not being um, a valid answer. So they actually came up with well, maybe you're just looking at modern day recent biofilm that had accumulated, and um, that must be what it is because you. They're right. Their their paradigm says that they can't last sixty five million. So they these must be something else that we're seeing. But you're finding all different types of things. So what would you say against biofilm? Well, yeah, no, I think the the uh, biofilm theory was a valiant uh, gesture. I think Dr. Schweitzer herself uh, put it uh, to to rest. Uh, but the theory is that uh, that uh, this tissue is there laying in the ground, and they they agree that microbes, uh, bacteria, insects, all kinds of uh, you know, worms, <laughs> nematodes, which are voracious, right? They go after these things. And so uh, they've even published uh, a recent paper where they measured the biota inside the bone and the biota in the matrix around the bone and the concentration of, 
of organisms was higher inside the bone. Well, of course, there's meat in them, there are hills, you know? So yeah, they're feeding on it still. Uh, but they're, the, the theory is that the, the bacteria that grow in there, they form a biofilm. They form this sticky glycocalyx kind of covering. It's a sugary kind of oozy covering. I've even photographed uh, this in the electron microscope. And, and the, the theory is that whatever they're eating, they literally poop out the same shape, okay? Which would be a Nobel prize if you could prove that. But, and so let's say they eat an osteocyte or a bone cell and in their wake, they leave what looks like an osteocyte or the, the biofilm around it, you know, formed this osteocyte. Well, uh, like I say, we have liberated these. Uh, we've actually stained them with different stains uh, and they behave exactly like normal tissues do. Remember, <laughs> I was trained in soft tissue work, microscopy. So I understand the staining process. I understand how these tissues should and should not respond to these stains. If these were biofilms, and I've, I've done the experiment, I've, stained, I've unsuccessfully tried to stain biofilms. They don't stain. And particularly with fluorescent stains, it's even more dramatic. So no, I think the microscopy has settled that issue that these are not biofilms. But, but then I go straight back to nerves covered in fat, oozing fat. I have pictures of lipid droplets coming out in a straight line up to the surface from a compressed nerve that I've compressed under cover slip pressure. So no, I mean, that stuff would be eaten up instantaneously by any organism. Uh, and, and what's interesting, we're finding these in limb bones, Permian amphibian limb bones that have been out of the ground for decades. So there's this term in forensic pathology, uh, uh, grave wax. A lot of times these uh, lipids in your body or lipid filled tissues kind of concrete and harden into like a grave wax, which literally coats them in rubber. So no, I think it's, it's amazing that we're finding these things. And you know, I'd, I'd love to go to the lip liscum uh, bone beds in Alaska where things are frozen in the permafrost. I mean, maybe I'll find a whole skull there, yeah? Yeah, I actually have seen a video on that recently. They said when they're walking around, they can look over and find a dinosaur laying on the ground. No digging required. Yeah. Incredible. But, uh... Yeah, if I could jump in here, the chat is wild, so I'm having a hard time saving all these questions. We've got over 70 people right now, and everyone's loving this. A lot of great feedback, uh, Mark. And I think given everything that's being said, the bottom line is the fact that, you know, the DNA, red blood cells, the bone, the bone protein, and so on should not be found in dinosaur fossils. If they really were millions of years old, they should have obviously degraded by now. And I still can't get over this uh, finding that you're talking about in, in the Permian, because I'm seeing people say, well, you know, if, if we found soft preserved tissue in like trilobites, you know, then I'd be convinced. And it's like, wait a minute, 200 million year old preservation is not good enough for you. So, I know we're the big trilobites right here in my home state. So stay tuned. Nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then if we find that, they'll just, you know, push it back even further. And you, no, you know, that's why I say, uh, really, you know, we love you, but who cares about you, really? Uh, you know, uh, move on. Shake the dust. Uh, move on. Uh, you know, you look, you look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, okay? Look at the Sermon on the Mount. Look at what he taught. And then read 
the rest of the following chapters and see how he lived out what he just spoke. That's our pattern. That's what he calls us to. That's why we've decided to take nothing for the journey. What does that mean? We, we've decided we're all volunteers and we give everything away. Okay. And we depend on him for the resources to do this. And he shows up. When you trust him that greatly, he shows up. And that's why we're going out in the towns and villages with this. I mean, look, if we have not just been through a bowl of wrath, okay, I don't know what is. I don't know how, how much worse does it have to get for folks to understand we may be winding up these days. We may not have many left, right? And you look at the judgment that is the flood, the worldwide catastrophic judgment because God was fed up. Okay, now look, like it or not, and you can accept it or not accept it, that's your little red wagon, which you get to pull into eternity. But you are a created being. And I like to tell the students, you know, who are you? Who do you think you are? You know, because the world projects everything on what we should be. And I came up with the term soado, S-O-A-D-O-E, son of Adam, daughter of Eve, combined together, soado. That's who we are. We're in their lineage. And that means we're owned beings. We were created by a creator who did make everything and put things in a garden from the beginning, who did send a flood that destroyed the whole earth. It's obvious. And it was recently because we're walking on this squishy stuff that's still in the ground. Yeah. So then what does he say in Second Peter? People are going to scoff. People are going to laugh. People are going to question the eschatology of scripture. But he says, don't forget that this is going to burn. It's all going to burn. Why are we noticing the temperature rising right now across? Everybody's alarmed. Everybody's freaking out. Of course, they've been predicting it for 30 years. Who's turning up the heat? I think it's God, because guess what? The second judgment is coming. Are you ready? Are you ready to surrender? Are you ready to tell God, okay, I give up. I give up already because it's not working for me. <laughs> the sooner you figure that one out, the happier you're going to be the more at peace you're going to be. But there are dark days coming. And a lot of people aren't going to make it. And I, I want them to make it. I want them to know that God put his imprint in the flood. It's there. I don't know how he's preserved it for this long, but he gave us some clues, didn't he? He talked about the bones of dinosaurs in, uh, in Job. He bragged about them. Well, I see now why he bragged about them, okay? They're there. This stuff is there. It's coming out at this time. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm in the middle of it. But I'm not going to be quiet. I'm going to be loving and kind, but I'm going to be pointful and, and direct and honest and truthful and serious. And I will correct folks when they're wrong about the work because I want them to understand it as published. Oh, yeah. Amen. What do you think about old earth creationist organizations that actually don't like these findings, like reasons to believe? They've come out and said, well, collagen could probably survive millions of years. But if the environment was devoid of water, oxygen and microbes, what are your thoughts on on uh, creationists even saying that? Well, I think the fact that they're not referencing our published work means that they're not doing their homework. Mm. So I would say do your homework. Yeah. You know, Dr. Lumsden, Dr. Richard Lumsden, who was from Tulane University, was my major professor. I studied parasitology under him. And uh, he wrote an article at the Creation Research Society quarterly decades ago called Error and Worse in Science. And what he called worse was sloppy work. <laughs> so, you know, if you're going to do your work, be an expert at your craft. 
Uh, don't sit right. there behind brick walls and write books. Go into the lab. Come on a dig with us, okay? We have an open invitation for people to submit a reason why they should go on a dig with us, and we'll take them to the Hell Creek, and they can dig on their own and see for themselves. Have yeah. any critics taken you up on this? Several people have, yeah. Nice. That's great. So, no, this is this is why I say find this out for yourself. Don't, you know, if you're if you're defending your position from your office, I suggest you're not a scientist. That's a great response. Amen. I couldn't agree more. Um, here's here's one super chat that comes in. I want to make sure I get to this one. This one comes in from Christopher Silvius. I appreciate the support and uh, donation there, Chris. He says at SFT. What is the maximum number of half-lives for DNA that is known by laboratory experiments and published mainstream articles? Well, that's a great question. I, I'm, I'm not a statistician, but, um, you know, the fact that DNA has been published as having a DNA of uh, a half-life of some 525 years or something on that level uh, is astonishing because all you got to count out is like 50,000 half-lives and, and that's not, that's not long from now, you know, so uh, it, it really speaks to the fact that if any nuclear material is found, and I will point out to you that we published a, a beautiful photograph of nuclear material being taken up by some of these tissues that we're recovering. And this is in the blood clot paper, which was September of 2020. Uh, but what we found on the bottom of our collection dish was what we call vein valves. These are little tiny valves. You see them pink there. These vein valves are little, they're like cuspids. They're, they're not bicuspids, they're monocuspids, but they're in your veins because your veins need valves uh, to return that blood to the heart under lower pressure, right? They gotta hold it in place. And so we stain them with an RNA stain and there they are glowing saying, yeah, I have RNA. So, you know, there are there got to be remnants of nuclear material uh, in these specimens. Um, and so more work definitely needs to be done in that area by labs who have that. I don't have that capability. So, you know, as a microscopist, I now we're, we're open to having volunteers come I and mean, we're, we're searching for volunteers who want to help us in this work. Distry is an open organization. You know, we have an open board and uh, people can apply, uh, we, we, you know, or, or just contact us, approach us. Uh, we've got a wonderful couple uh, who are actually driving the rig uh, right now. They're from Illinois, and they came all the way out from Illinois to Seattle and, and picked up the rig, and they're driving it to El Paso for us, which is a lifesaver for me. I mean, I'm pushing 70, and this is why I need to clone myself because, uh, you know, I'm running out of gas here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who needs sleep these days, eh, Mark? You're it's overrated. Uh... <laughs> I'll sleep when I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> um... Okay, what about this one here comes in from Translucency. Um, several questions have come in. I'll, I'll get to one of his. He says, how come we can extract megafaunal DNA from tropical mammals in the ice ages, yet there are no dino equivalents? Uh, what are well, your I'll thoughts say, on that? I'll say yet, Y-E-T. Yeah. Let's go to the uh, Alaskan permafrost. Yeah, let's dig there. There's digging going on there. Okay, there's science being done at the Liscombe Bone Bed in Alaska. It's just not being reported, uh, unless it's being reported undercover within, you know, colleague to colleague to colleague thing. But uh, 
no, let's go there. Let's dig there. Let's find out if there are DNA uh, components still frozen in that permafrost. So I think the temperature has a lot to do with it. I mean, when you consider the horn, you know, and all the stuff we found in the horn, uh, you know, we found we found nerves in a condyle associated with the horn. So right in the, in the proximity. So I imagine if we had had looked for nerves in the horn, we would have found it, but found them. But um, uh, no, th this thing was was in a in a, a cycling temperature environment where you know you have very very cold winters with snow and ice on the ground, very very hot summers, a lot of wind, a lot of rain, a lot of percolation, uh, a lot of ground uh, plant growth uh, and and uh, fungal you know rhizome growth, big mats, uh, and, and then of course all the rodents and bacteria. And, and uh, worms and things that are present there in this environment. The, the background radiation that comes out of the ground is known to be highly destructive to tissues. So it's astonishing to me still that these things are here and in the quality that we're finding. It, it really is astonishing. Amen. Well said. I'm, I'm amazed more and more every day. I love the research that you're doing. And uh, this next question, Mark, I know you've addressed it ad nauseum, but it keeps coming up in, in response to this uh, fascinating uh, evidence. But as we know, Second Peter 3, right? There are those that are willingly ignorant, denying three things, the, the creation, the flood, and the coming judgment. So we can't really be surprised. But uh, this question has to do with an argument, uh, again, uh, from uh, reasons to believe that, that Matt pointed to earlier. And uh, this specific old earth creationist organization claimed that, um, again, collagen could survive millions of years as long as the, um, inv actually, this is the one that, that Matt just asked, but the other one that, okay, right here, that um, the highly intertwined cross-link structure of, of collagen, so they're looking to the structure itself, is good reason to believe that. And again, they say fragments, even though we can clearly see it's not just fragments, could survive 68 million years or more. Is this wishful thinking, uh, Mark? Well, uh, <laughs> you know, again, I would go back to the fact that uh, the two papers that address that uh, were published by Dr. Schweitzer and other members of her group. Uh, in both instances, they created laboratory conditions which were foreign, completely foreign and unrealistic as compared to uh, the Hell Creek formation condi conditions that we know are there, okay? You can go there, come on a dig with us, and you can see the conditions. Maybe that'll change your mind. But remember, they only addressed vessels, and they right. only studied vessels. They only measured these connections uh, with very high technology equipment in vessels. They didn't look at veins. They didn't look at vein valves. They didn't look at osteocytes. They didn't look at nerves. Uh, all components of bone, uh, which many of which do not have collagen in them. Uh, you know, we're, when you look at the blood clots and you look at the, uh, the pictures that we're publishing on the blood clots, we showed it to a physician. Because uh, remember, we're doing thin sections, okay? Like this, this, uh, this is a thin section of nanotyrannous vertebra. So we we make these, you know, as thin as a human hair, actually half the width of a human hair, and we examine them under uh, high intensity UV microscopes, and the clots are so evident. But the bone is evident too because the, the proteins that are still in the bone glow yellow. So we have this yellow combination with blue glowing, showing the iron is in one place and the bone is in another. So all those tissues that are in the bone 
are separated from the iron, uh, number one. Number two, the bone cells are phospholipid membranes, okay? They're basically fat and iron would just destroy them. But we're finding countless numbers of osteocytes or bone cells in our preparations. How can they be there? Uh, Dr. Schweitzer made one comment that the blood has access to the osteocytes through the lacunocondylicular network. Well, that, you know, study your anatomy class, uh, but red blood cells are larger than the, you know, the canalicular layer. Uh, so they cannot fit inside of there. So they couldn't possibly get down to the osteocytes. So it's just a matter of anatomy, uh, understanding that. So no, the blood was sequestered in the, in the vessel walls, okay, in those Haversian canals. It was sequestered in there, it's clotted in there. And when we show these thin section pictures, these thin section pictures of this stuff to physicians, they can identify the actual blood components that are in our specimen. They can see them crystallized in place. So we're, we're stating rather unequivocally and rather resoundingly, and it's up to people to prove us wrong. Go make your own thin sections and prove us wrong that there's no blood clots everywhere and that the iron is sequestered inside the Haversian canals because that's our pronouncement. And now it's up to you to prove us wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing, uh, Mark. I love your passion and energy. Again, I just have to say it. It's a great time to be a young earth creationist. Uh, I could elaborate on all uh, on that all day, but I don't want to hog the mic. So Matt, go ahead. No, I, I, you say, I don't want to be unkind to those folks. Uh, it's not an issue of salvation, but I'll put it to you this way. And again, I'll go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus concluded by saying, people who practice and teach these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But those who do not practice and teach these commands or lead others astray will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Heaven's going to be a long, long time. And I don't want to have the name least. <laughs> on my lapel that whole time so it's a matter of faith it's really faith over fear what do you got to lose by trusting completely like i say my windshield is a mess i'm going 100 miles an hour and things are flying at me left and right but i can see the path right behind me in my rear view so take a leap of faith trust god in his word uh see if he doesn't open your eyes and your mind and show you things incredible things like he's shown me so that that's what i can share you know, we love you. We care about you. We want you to be in heaven and we don't want you to be called least when you get there. <laughs> I love Amen. it. Amen. I love it. I'm actually making a comedy skit, kind of a picture with a cartoon guy. And in the background, it's got like the commandments, you know, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, love God with all your heart, love your neighbors, love yourself. And then a, a guy in the audience raising his hand saying, but what if I believe all this for no reason? But what, what if I change my life for nothing? <laughs> right. It's, you know, for every person that's standing there uh, being that way, behaving that way, there's five people hiding behind him that I want to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. For the next question, then, I've, I've heard that there's over 18 different biological elements so far that have been found in dinosaur fossils. Um, I don't know if that ac it's that accurate or not, but um, maybe. I think that's way underreported. I think there's much more. Uh, it's, it's like I said, th these bones, to me, they're like pyramids with all kinds of fascinating hidden passages filled with treasures 
that haven't been discovered before. I mean, just the area of tissue staining, the fact that these tissues re respond to acridine orange, to toluidine blue, to all these standard off the shelf, and not even the standard off the shelf uh, 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 stains, uh, markers. The markers that Dr. Schweitzer has used are targeted towards molecules. And so she's actually targeted uh, dinosaur molecules. This is why her work is so astounding. Uh, and it just blows away the biofilm argument because these are actual endogenous, you know, pre-existing, and they belong to the original organism, dinosaur proteins in these preparations. So no, I think it's stunning. Uh, and there's so much work to be done. Uh, that, that's why I encourage people, hey, even if it's just to prove our work wrong, which is science, I mean, that's what science is all about. Instead of armchair quarterbacking it, make a lab, get a lab, join a lab, you know, start doing this work. Uh, I'll even share all our protocols with you. If I'm not right, I want to be proven wrong. Amen. If I'm incorrect on my science, I need somebody to correct that. But so far, nobody's stepped up. They're, they're just hurling, you know, mud balls from the, from the <laughs> gallery. So. Well, if I could, um, Mark, we know that the gold standard of science is, is to make testable and falsifiable predictions. And I remember you, correct me if I'm wrong, I remember you predicting that dinosaur soft tissue would be found as a common theme in fossils. Can you elaborate on this? And are we then finding dinosaur soft tissue? As you pointed out more and more, it's probably underreported, but uh, what are your thoughts on that? No, it's definitely underreported because the colleagues that I have in this work uh, who are uh, collecting uh, slide specimens, prepared slide specimens from folks who prep bones, uh, you know, are, are commenting that a lot of this stuff is thrown away because it's got too much soft material in it. So no, I was stunned as a, as a soft tissue processing expert uh, uh, working at a state university in California, running a million dollar laboratory at the top of Chaparral Hall, the, the, the jewel of the biology department at California State University, Northridge, uh, practicing soft tissue processing every day with undergraduate students, graduate students and professors. I was actually training professors in my laboratory. And then to go to the Hell Creek looking for a femur, not finding it after three days and being so dejected and then coming home with this ragtag, broken up, fungus filled, root filled, wet horn, thinking I'll never find anything in this. And then to find what was found was astonishing. And so that's why I made that prediction way back in 2012, that this is the norm and not the exception. And I think that's, that's certainly what I'm finding. I mean, the phrase we're sharing is every bone every day, predominantly every bone every day. And I, I you know, I've done different experiments whereby I begin de decalcification for like only a day and then I stop and I start photographing it under the microscope. And this is one of the presentations we're going to give in El, El Paso. We're going to see that the clots go all the way to the exterior portion of the bone. Here I have a piece of, this is a nanotyrannous rib and it, it's been in decal solutions for a little while. And already, you know, we photographed the clots coming all the way out to the surface of the bone. So now the, the evidence is astonishing with every different experiment that I try. So uh, I think this is the norm. I think it's, it's not prevalent only in the Cretaceous layers. Uh, we've been working in the Devonian, we've been working in the Carboniferous and people are gonna be shocked at what they see. So this literally is an envelope of death. Uh, 
marking the judgment of God on the whole earth uh, that we're walking over and living over and ignoring for the most part. Uh, a lot of people don't know. So that's why our mission is to get out there and share this. And look, there's detractors. Fine. I don't mind detractors. Go into your lab, you know, come to our digs, take the same fossils home, and you work on them and prove me wrong. Prove me wrong, please. Amen. Well said, well said. Let, let, let's see them match up to the work and research that, that is being done. So that's a great response. Uh, Matt, over to you, uh, my good man, if you had a question. Oh, uh, sure. Um, I don't know if you've read Dr. Fuzz Rana's book on dinosaur soft tissue, obviously a critic of the work, but um, I asked simply because I've seen his book being referenced by critics as a solid refutation against young earth creation arguments on dinosaur soft tissue. Have you read uh, that? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just wondering, have you read that and know what his arguments are? Yeah, I was I was actually asked to review that book uh, for uh, the uh, uh, I'm going to have a senior moment now. Uh, the the uh, creation group in Australia, they asked me to uh, creation ministries international for their journal of creation. And I did write a critique. Uh, I do have that available. Uh, just contact through the distry.org contact. Yeah. And ask for that, and we'll we'll send you that uh, in a PDF form. It's rather large, so I have to send it transfer Excel. But just give us your email; we'll send that to you. No, I'm well familiar with the book, and I was it was uh, surprising to uh, read him already naming me by name in the preface of the book. I mean, he didn't wait to get to chapter one, but uh, basically uh, the critique shows that uh, again his homework was not it was incomplete. He, he didn't really understand our work. And so uh, I went through, I think, 10 reasons why uh, he didn't show our work properly. And when properly understood, I think the work stands on its own and uh, it, it really stands up well against uh, all the criticisms to date. Got it. Well, Mark, as you were pointing out earlier, you've been refuting or addressing these criticisms for i mean ad nauseum years and years and years so i totally understand what you're saying about who cares about the critics you know let's let's show this data let's talk about this amazing information and evidence with people who care with people who have an open mind people who are on the fence not people who have hardened themselves to it no, I'm really interested in, in working with folks who are sincere. Uh, look, the dinosaur nerve work that we found uh, was, was so compelling to the journal that they put it on the cover, okay? So they gave us the cover of the journal for that issue because of the work. And so that's, that is science recognizing the science. And so that's hugely gratifying. And it's humbling, really, to be given a journal cover. That doesn't happen very often. Um, unless you submit pictures to the journal just for them to publish the picture, right? I have plenty of those. But, but to do the work and have it published and have the journal editors recognize the significance of the work uh, by putting it on the cover, I think, speaks for itself. And, you know, as far as some of these critics, uh, a lot of the criticisms go back to the original Acta Histochemica paper, uh, which I think was a, a great paper. I'm still really so proud of it. But here's the thing. Uh, that paper was reviewed by Dr. Schweitzer and several other uh, evolutionary paleontologists, and uh, it passed peer review. In fact, Dr. Schweitzer was later interviewed for Nature Communications, and uh, she uh, stated that the work was fine. She saw no problem with it. So when people start saying, well, this is a bison horn and this, that, or the other, 
or you fabricated uh, the location. You know, the location, a lot of people complained about the uh, the actual, uh, uh, I, f I forget the another senior moment, I forget the actual term here, but a person is familiar with uh, latitude and longitude and plot lines in counties and stuff like that. A guy emailed me and said, I walked right to that place. So it's not hard to find. Uh, all you have to do is read the paper and, and, and study it for yourself. But no, I, I actually forget what the whole point of my, my uh, point was. But here's the real point. The science needs to be done. It needs to be continued. Uh, we'd love your support, uh, certainly your prayer support. You can pray for us. You can pray for the labs that we're conducting. But uh, there are some people out there with some very deep pockets who can fund uh, this work, uh, maybe have centers of excellence around the country where different people around the country are doing this work and publishing on it. That's the goal, to publish as much as possible and present this to the world. So uh, that's the kind of support we're looking for. Well, I appreciate that, Mark. And um, I want to respect your time. Time has flown by. You've done a fantastic job. Uh, tons of great questions and uh, awesome, very thorough answers there, uh, Dr. Armitage. I really appreciate it. Can I give a shameless plug for our books? Of course. Yeah, take your time, man. No rush. We've got uh, two issues now. We're working on a third one. These are free. You can download these from the website. If you want printed copies, just contact us from the website because we, we put all the work in here. You can you can share it with your friends. We want you to give these away. If you get one of these and you keep it on your bookshelf, shame on you. I want you to give it away. So you can download those or contact us and we'll get them to you. Absolutely. And it... Anything we've discussed today, anything that you've uh, kind of uh, plugged and the papers we've discussed, the information on the blood clots, I want to put that in the description box of the video for people. You know, we've still got 80 people in the chat uh, really enjoying this. And a shout out for you here, um, Dr. Armitage. This is from a, a good brother in the Lord, Dr. James Carter. He's been here uh, a few times before. He's done amazing work <clears throat> debunking abiogenesis. He says, greetings. Please let Dr. Armitage know who I am. I'm still writing my exhaustive review paper on ancient biomatter and would love to collaborate and receive training. So I just thought I'd put that up there for you. Yeah, have, him, have him contact us. Uh, but as far as training goes, sorry, Doc. It's all about the young students right now. Uh, <laughs> if, if you can reverse your age sometime, you're welcome to, bring, to come into a class. But certainly collaboration and you know, until until we get a chance to get out there into these towns and villages, into the community and give kids time to heal, let them know, hey, you can heal uh, from this. You need to heal from this. And you need to realize that these waves of bowls of wrath are probably in your future. And so we're, we want to get them healed up, get them, give them the hope that they need to know that the future is going to be OK if you walk that narrow road. Look, we're all trying to walk the narrow road, right? It's a walk. We're all on the path. Some are a little further ahead, some are a little further behind, but we're all on the same path. And that's what we want. We want everybody to get on that narrow road, trusting Jesus every day. You know, you, you, won't, you won't believe how he shows up in your life when you really start to trust him. I mean, tangibly in Amen. your life, really show up. So we want to bring that encouragement to people. We'd love to collaborate with other scientists. There's so much work to do. And uh, so we, we will pursue that. But as far as training, I think let's get the students taken care of. <laughs> I'll go back to the postdoc, train them also. <laughs> How long is this tour going to last? That you're well, uh, as long as we have the resources right now, uh, after El Paso, we're going to Mount St. Helens Conference Center. Then we're going to Modesto. 
We have requests for Detroit, for Kansas, uh, for Montana, obviously, and also Pensacola, Florida. So I think we're going to be busy for a couple of years, uh, but the, the students need this right now. They need this encouragement. Yeah, well, you've got reward. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say, that's a that's a large tour. I mean, you went from Cal- Northern California to Florida. You don't get much farther. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're driving the slow lanes. Our freeways are not good. <laughs> well, if, you, if you'd like to volunteer to drive uh, and you have some experience driving a large uh, stretch van, uh, contact us through distry.org. Uh, again, if, you, if you're interested in going to a dig, now you've got to pay your own expenses. It, it could be... Uh, you know, plus, you know, the hotel and food, uh, it's about $100, $120 a day just to the dig operator. So uh, we want to pay these folks because they're, you know, they're having trouble ranching right now. A lot of them uh, are doing bone ranching. So we want to support them. So uh, we like to take groups with us to help help the dig operators. But man, what an experience for you to see this firsthand and close up and personal. And uh, then if you get to see the results from the lab, I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Awesome. That would be amazing. That would be a blessing. Well, before we wind it down here, I should get get this question up here because I, I put out a challenge. We like to leave no stone unturned. And I think we've uh, pretty much addressed everything. Uh, Dr. Armitage, you've done a fantastic job. So here, as we were winding down, I put out a challenge uh, to any uh, skeptic who's on the fence in the chat. Uh, you know, is, is there um, anything else that we haven't addressed uh, that could preserve such a, a amazing uh, biomaterial for millions and millions of years. Just curious as to your final thoughts on um, this comment or, or question. Trans Blucency says, well, the ones that seem to get preserved are A, fragmentary, and B, ones that have stronger molecular bonds in lower energy states. Uh, any right, thoughts well, on that, Mark? Yeah, I, I'm not a bond expert. I can't speak to bonds. Uh, if they are bonds, they're ancient. It, it, you know, there's no... I cannot conceive of how uh, lipids are being held together uh, through ancient time. But the the comment about fragmentary is one that persists. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you see the Permian nerve publication that we're going to submit, some of these fibers are over four or five centimeters long. So they're not fragmentary. Right. Uh, And of course, uh, the vessels were all hardened by the clotting blood and we showed you that picture from the acta paper back in 2012 we first identified those crystallized blood products so uh this stuff isn't fragmentary we're finding when we when we uh when we decalcify some of the permian bones we see the entire blood vessel clotted sticking out like pin cushions sticking out of the bones clotted vessels that's on the website look at those videos with your own eyes so no, I, I reject the fragmentary notion, and uh, I can't speak to the state of the electron bonds, but somebody has to explain to me how Wesson oil can get poured out on the Permian and is still here today for me to collect. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, so much great information, uh, Mark. Again, I appreciate your time. I know how busy you are, as we both agreed earlier. Life's an adventure. So, uh, you know, our prayers go out to you for a safe tour, safe trip. Um, so, again, thank you so much. And any final words, final thoughts, anything you wanted to say to the audience, for example, before we kind of shut it down here? Yeah, I mean, uh, if, you're, if you're interested in a dig, contact us through distry.org. 
uh, if you're interested in uh, uh, the uh, uh, the uh, review of uh, Dr. Fuzzrana's book, Dinosaur Blood in the Age of the Earth, uh, contact us through distry.org. Download the free books, give them away, download the papers, memorize them, class. There's going to be a <laughs> Uh-oh, Matt, you and I better be studying. Uh, okay. <laughs> we'll be ready. We'll study together. So I appreciate it so much, Mark. We're going to get all those links uh, and, and everything kind of we talked about here in the description box. But Matt, thank you so much for being here and joining me as uh, the co-host for tonight. Any final thoughts, final words from you there, uh, Matt, brother? I just had another question um, for the for the audience that, you know, they can't ask probably. Let's say that they're amateurs, right? But they live in uh, Idaho, Montana. These are massive dinosaur graves. If they come across a dinosaur bone, um, obviously being an amateur, they might just pick it up. Could they send that to you for investigation? Would you like but, something? But, but here's the thing, um, and you'll see this in our publication history. You'll notice that every dig that we reference is a, is a dig that is known to the literature. So, you know, I, I will say this, in terms of the bone labs that we're conducting, yeah, we go through a lot of bones. Uh, and, and so, cause we dissolve them all for the students, but it's important for us to know where that bone came from. In other words, what's, what's the progeny of that? What, what dig was it found in? What were the conditions? Uh, the other thing is, uh, even though some bones do still retain soft tissues after being out of the ground for decades. And this was proven in a paper published by the Royal Terrell Museum where they took, I think 15 or so specimens out of drawers and they processed them for soft tissue. And some 75%, 80% of them already st still had soft tissue in them. Uh, it, they're degraded somewhat. So we do, like to, we do like to collect them from the soil and put them straight into a fixative. Uh, and that kind of preserves everything, keeps it in place, so that later when we do the dissolution, those tissues come out intact. And, and I'm telling you, they are intact and long, you know, up to five, six centimeters for some of these nerve fragments. So, uh, but, but that's probably the main problem is that we don't know the provenance of the bone, where it came from, what, how the dig is characterized, what the conditions were, and that it's out of the ground for a long time. So, uh, you know, contact us if you are on a site where paleontologists have dug and they found actual dinosaurs, they, they have uh, they've classified them as to what taxa they are and they published. If you're on a dig like that, yeah, we wanna talk to you. Right now we have uh, five digs that we go to, uh, but in order to really characterize this in different depositional environments and especially with different taxa, you know, we wanna show how many different dinosaur types have soft tissue in them. I think that's a very important thing and it requires a lot of workers and a lot of bones and a lot of digs. So definitely if you're on that kind of a dig, please contact us and yeah, we'll work with you for sure. Great response. So much good information uh, in this program, Mark. Again, I appreciate you giving us your time. I'm definitely rewatching this. We still got a lot, uh, a great chat with so many great comments. I just kind of wanted to sneak this in here. James Carter makes a good point. There are unsaturated fatty acids from specimens all throughout the geologic column. Those reactive double bonds would not last. Agreed. Also, they aren't more degraded as you go down the column. That's actually that's yeah. a good point. Dr. Too. Carter, yeah, contact me through the website, and we'll get together. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
<laughs> awesome. So I, I see so many good comments coming in, guys. I, I appreciate your enthusiasm in the chat. Thank you for so many great questions. Please share this around as the truth is so important. We want this to get out to as many people as as possible. And again, uh, Dr. Armitage, thanks so much. Matt, thank you as well. Great show. Thank you for tuning in to the uh, audience. And Standing for Truth is out. God bless all.